Harry Potter. Oh, Harry Potter. 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 And the Half Drunk Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Emily. And this week, we are concluding our deep dive to Order of the Phoenix by finishing up the movie portion of the deep dive. So we will be talking about the last little bit of the movie as it correlates to the book like we talked about last week. But yeah, first we'll talk about our drinks this week. So we don't really have a drink of the week per se. We just have drinkers our choice own thing. this week. We're going to do our own thing. Yeah. Um, shout out to Chance the Rapper. <laughs> so this week I had some leftover ingredients for a Moscow Mule. So I finished off my Trader Joe's vodka and made a little Moscow Mule action. That sounds really delicious. I am drinking what is left over from our ghost episode. So I'm having a nice glass of a cab sev. So All right. I'll be very relaxed by the end. I'm surprised you haven't finished that already. I mean, I just I've been trying to really not drink that often. Um Yeah. But now I had a, like I had literally had a glass left and I was like, why not? Might as well. It's fitting for this episode as well, so. Yeah. I mean, whenever I try to cut something out, like, if I try to cut alcohol out, then I start baking more. So, it's like, <laughs> it, it just balances it out. Like, yeah. the other day, I I hadn't drank for a week, but I was like, I think I'm going to make some cookies. So, it just, mm, cutting stuff out of my diet never works for me. But <laughs> anyways, that's what we're drinking this week, but I think we should just jump in Last week, we had a lot to talk about for the end of Order of the Phoenix, and we will probably have a lot to say for this, but we pick up with right after Fred and George left. They fly off into the distance, and there's cheering and applause from everyone, and they're like running out onto the grounds until... Of course, Harry can't enjoy one moment. (laughs) Harry has his own moment when (laughs) he has a vision in the middle of all of this and, like, falls to the ground and, like, passes out and he just causes a full-on scene and literally just steals Fred and George's moment. Yeah. As per usual. And I really, really love um, Hermione's reaction to this. You can kind of see her, like, slow motion turn around and look at him. And it's just very dramatic. And, of course, Harry, you know, just has this moment and then he tells them about it and... As in the book, right. Hermione tries to be the voice of reason, and he snaps at her pretty harshly. Yeah. I mean, it is, it, it's definitely the same in that he has his vision, and he comes out of it, and he's very urgent, and we need to go help Sirius right now. And Hermione is like she is in the book and says, you know, you might be falling into a trap. But it all just goes rather quickly. Like, there so is a lot quickly. more back and forth in yeah. the book. But so then they just break into Umbridge's office for the first time because they don't actually break into it before in the movie like they do in the book. And right. Ron and Hermione go in with Harry and they're going into the office to try to read series. But they haven't even like had the chance to talk to Creature yet before Umbridge appears behind them and says that you are after Hermione said, 
we're in this together. Right. And then Draco comes in with Neville and all the other ones. And yeah, and then it cuts to her smacking Harry in the face. Um, <laughs> so she's just very dramatic. And then, of course, Hermione thinks on her feet, as she does in the book, um, right before Umbridge is about to use the Cruciatus curse on Harry. That I think that interrogation part was very similar to as it was in the book. I was happy with it. Right. I was too. Also, Snape's whole interaction was right. perfect. I mean, Alan Rickman can do no wrong. So, yeah. He was very convincing and, like, not acting like he knew what, he was, what Harry was talking about. Like, it was very convincing to Harry because Harry, like, had a look on his face afterwards where he's like, oh, fuck, well. Right, right. We're screwed, you know? Um, and then they go into the forest. And I honestly was okay with this, too. I mean, the centaurs don't try to take Harry and Hermione as well and then you know there's you know the timeline is just jumbled at this point so I think for time's sake to get us to the Ministry of Magic this whole sequence was fine by me I liked seeing the centaurs all up on the hill and they like made them look very majestic and then when they carried her off you know I can remember seeing this in theaters and everyone applauded at that moment and I think I still carry that with me a little bit right i mean by the time they get to the forest umbridge is basically caught on that there's not a weapon and she's getting more and more pissed off and then by the time the centaurs come and start firing arrows she literally i forgot about this she straight up strangles one of them with a rope after she's like spewing insults at them about their near human intelligence and filthy half breeds and um, also, what I liked about this was when Grop came in and picked her up, and then right. after the centaurs were like peppering their arrows at him, is when he dropped her down to them. And this is the first time that I actually do feel a little bad for Grop here because it's not his fault that he's in the damn forest. It's Hagrid's, and he doesn't so, know any better, and he's and getting he's just trying to, arrows yeah, fired at him. Yeah, he's just confused. Yeah. And then um, when Umbridge is about to get carried away by the centaurs um she's like tell them that i mean them no harm or whatever and harry's like i'm sorry professor i must not tell lies <laughs> just like mike drop my dude yes i think that was the best line that was added in yeah in for sure section. yeah and then so they leave the forest and they meet up with the others ron luna Ginny, and neville they meet up with them on the bridge a little bit different how they got away, though. It was Ron's idea in the movie to feed them the from the snack boxes that the Weasley twins left behind. Yeah, the puking And then pastels. you get, like, the cute little interaction between Hermione, Hermione. and Ron. It's like, that was genius. He's like, oh, well. That was clever, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then there's really no timeline between they get on the Thestrals, right? And then you're, like, straight and there's orbs all around you. Well, Yeah. But Harry at first tries to play the hero and says that the rest of them aren't going to go with him. And Neville straight up just puts him in his place. And he says, but Dumbledore's army was supposed to be about doing something real. Or is that all just words to you? Which made Harry really have to eat his words and agree for all of them to come. And then Luna has the bright idea of using the Thestrals. And then, yeah, they just go to London all of a sudden. And the Ministry of Magic running through the atrium. Right. So then... They find the prophecy rather quickly. Harry actually hears the prophecy while he's Quite in the chamber. Quite more easily in comparison than the book do they get right. to the Hall of Prophecies. Right. Like, they literally just go straight in. Exactly. There's absolutely no timeline there. And 
then he hears the prophecy. And so this whole part like really confuses me because, you know, the Death Eaters are already there lurking. So they've literally just heard the prophecy unless they were trying to make it seem like Harry was the only one who could hear it. But I seriously doubt that. I don't know. I don't know if they were already there. I think they definitely were waiting for him. I think they just kind of like apparated in because no, I think they, Lucius I mean, in the was book, down they there. They weren't waiting. already there, were they? I think Lucius at least was down there waiting for him because they got tipped off by Voldemort that he would come. So it's not like they. Well, had to I feel wait like very if long. that's the case, Voldemort could be there waiting, knowing when he's actually there, and then say, "Okay, go. He's there." Like, why know. would he send them if I feel he like wasn't he was for sure just he was waiting? There. But whatever. Um. So. There's no excellent give it to me Potter line. But he does have a great line when he says, you really should learn to tell the difference between dreams and reality. You saw what the Dark Lord wanted you to see. Like, that just confirms everything. Right. So then they're all fighting. And this is actually pretty an exciting sequence, I think. You get to see the power of Ginny Weasley, finally, when she says her spell. And then the whole chamber pretty much like erupts and all the prophecies start falling down yeah the different the big difference i saw here was they don't get split up like they do in the book it's all together and then he sees the veil for the first time when they're like they think they're free falling and then they're they hit the floor and then he like looks up and sees the veil which honestly i thought was visually exciting i like for everything that they did leave out in this whole portion like you still get the chase scene you still get the veil you still get the prophecies you still get all of that and honestly yeah. it's just accelerated because it's like, just of course condensed it right yeah it's just condensed into basically two rooms and all of them together and just a lot more chaos instead of kind of hide and seek and also like the death eaters are sort of doing their whole apparating creepy flying thing around them instead of actually running behind them like they are in the book and where it's actually more of like a chase here it's like the i'm just gonna call it the crew of six kids are kind of running and the death eaters are just kind of like popping up as soon as they think that they're like out of harm's way right and um yeah i i know that last week you said that book bellatrix is just the best ever but honestly and i agree but honestly Helena brings her to life in a way that I couldn't in my mind ever read her, you know? No, like I mean, she just I definitely, her to life. I've praised her performance in the past and I think she's the perfect Bellatrix Lestrange. I she's just so think good. if you like, were going to have anyone be this. the embodiment of her, it is Helena Bottom Carter because also she's a method actress. So, you know, she was Bellatrix Lestrange the entire time time leading up to it and everything so no i think kudos to her and i think she's absolutely amazing i just think the character of bellatrix we don't see enough of her i guess i'm just being selfish in the movies as we do in the books i don't know but yeah she does a fantastic job and i really i mean i hate to say this i really do like um, because I think it kind of ties the story together, not because I like the action, but because it ties the story together. I like that her interactions with Neville a lot because it kind of yeah. shows you because they don't just like call it out like they kind of do in the book. It's not it, that it they have like a deeper, not relationship, but connection. They have a yeah. deeper connection. And 
I don't, it's just important, and I really like when all the Death Eaters are, you know, flying around Harry and picking up each one of their kids that yeah, when she's the, the one that ends room. up with Neville. Yeah. Right. Which is what happens right after they fall into the room. The Death Eaters come in, and they all swoop in and grab one of Harry's friends. And we should point out that there are significantly less Death Eaters. Yeah, it's here. like it's one on one, one at this point. Yeah, so then Harry is forced with either watching his friends be tortured and to die or to hand over the prophecy. And a big moment that's different is that he does actually hand the prophecy over to Lucius. Like, he does give it up before Sirius walks up out of nowhere and just punches Malfoy in the fucking face. Get away from my godson, Pop. (laughs) Get your hands off my godson. (laughs) And then other members of the order apparate in and they rescue all the crew. And then in the commotion, Malfoy, of course, smashes the prophecy. And I have to say, I actually really like this retelling of this whole sequence because one, it shows that Harry has a deep love for his friends by sacrificing the prophecy up. He's gonna he's willing to give that away to save his friends. Also, Sirius gets his epic entrance, which is a little different than him just running in with everybody like in the movie or in the book. And then also it's Malfoy's fault that the prophecy is destroyed instead of Neville's, which no doubt makes him be held in even less esteem in the eyes of his master. So I think it was all just kind of a win 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 type of scenario here for me no i mean i have the exact same note i love the kind of creative freedom they took on this which is weird for me because usually i'm like it needs to be like the book but no i I love this because it really does show because you obviously can't see harry's capacity for love for his friends as much as you do in the books right in the films because it's just shorter and so I do, I really appreciate that he was willing to sacrifice that little portion and give him what he wanted in order to save his friends. And I also love the punching in the face moment. I think that's such a serious thing that should have been honestly in the book. I don't, she probably was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, that makes so much sense. You're right. He should punch <laughs> him in the face when he comes in. And then, yes, I love I love a fall of Lucius Malfoy. So the fact that he broke the prophecy, my notes like, yes, why did she not write it like this? Because Right, when he was the one who was basically in charge of getting it. Right, because it just shows it up. later when uh, Voldemort is treating him like an absolute failure, it would reinforce that even more if he's right. the one who broke his prophecy. So yeah, no, exactly. I had the exact same note. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's an epic fight scene that's breaking out and Harry is fighting alongside Sirius. And of course, we get the line from Sirius that one, Harry has done beautifully. And then also the nice one, James. But I think for me, the major key difference here is that Sirius wasn't even dueling with Bellatrix. He had just disarmed Malfoy when out of nowhere, Bellatrix just shouts Avada Kedavra and kills him. And it really makes her seem as an even more like unpredictable and terrifying villain that she just killed him unprovoked when he wasn't even looking her way. She just wanted to kill him because she hated him for being who he was and a part of her family. Plus, she wanted to fuck with Harry. And I actually kind of like this, too. I think it doesn't make Sirius seem like he lost a duel. He was attacked unawares, you know? Yeah, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. I do kind of wish they would duel it out just because I kind of liked that tension buildup and the fact that 
you know, it's a family against family, like pitting them against each other. And this is, you know, Sirius's moment because he like has disliked his family so much. And it's him not only defending Harry, but defending his honor and himself. But no, I see what you're saying. It does make her seem more evil. I do, however, wish he would have been laughing. Yeah, he has, like, a slight smile. Yeah, when he, it's like, just dies, not the same. But, and yeah. I think the fact that he was doing his, like, barking laugh at the time of his death really just kind of was a full arc for him because he was such a fun and playful man. And losing that and just having him kind of, like, have a smile because he was, like, stunned at what happened and then fall back into the veil... Visually, it was exciting, but I think we really missed something. Like, if she would have killed him right when he said, nice one, James, and was laughing about that, then that would have been completely different. I do, however, the next scene where it goes silent and you just see Dan screaming. Right. We've talked about this before. Oh, my gosh. Chills. Every time I see that, that just, first of all, shows the capacity of Dan as an actor. And second of all, I think is the perfect representation even after rereading this part of what happened i think time did stand still for harry for like a few minutes and the only person who could possibly have restrained him for as long as he did was lupin yeah Uh, lupin's reaction too i mean he's holding it back as well yeah just the look of pure agony on Harry's face when he's screaming is yeah and just so moving the last marauder who you know, did not betray his friends. The last marauder standing there holding James's son, watching another one of his best friends die right in front of him for the same cause. I mean, if that doesn't tug at your heartstrings, then it I, packs don't, a punch, I don't know what will. For sure. Yeah. I mean, and I think it was especially moving when they dropped out the audio and it was just music because yeah, I... Yeah, and in slow-mo. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's just one of those things that kind of reminded me of when the final battle between Voldemort and Harry and the movie and how like big of a moment that was that's how it feels here Mm -hmm. too yeah and um then basically Harry sees Bellatrix running away screaming I killed Sirius Black which I I mean she's so creepy like she's so perfect for this role. I know. It's so and when so she, like, perfect. When he uh when she falls because he stuns her with the Cruciatus curse, I mean her face, like just her facial expressions when she's looking at him, I I don't even know how she does it. Cause then you watch another movie she's in and like Alice in Wonderland, for example, where she's like supposed to be hilarious with her big head. And I don't know. She's just such an incredible actress. It's crazy. It's so She's crazy. so good. But then um, it's actually Voldemort's voice that Harry hears telling him, you've got to mean it, Harry. She right. deserves it. You know the spell, Harry. Do it. And then he's there and swats Harry's wand away and calls him weak before <laughs> finally Dumbledore makes his entrance through the fireplace in the ministry. A little different timing there and the, than from the book. And... We assume the rest of the order has sorted out the remaining Death Eaters downstairs. And then, of course, there's the fight scene between Dumbledore and Voldemort. Like we said last week, it's just two incredible, the most powerful wizards 
of the time. And, you know... Duking it out. Like, they took a lot of liberties with this fight scene, but it is so iconic and so exciting. Like, first of all, when Dumbledore puts Voldemort up in this, like, water bubble, like, their CGI budget, they saved it all for this moment. Like, Grop like, looks Yeah, they horrible. could have used it a little bit more on the Thestral scene, but, yeah. <laughs> and Grop. But they saved it all for this moment, and then when, like, Voldemort made it rain down glass, and... Then I I really love when then Dumbledore turns that into like dust and then you can yeah. see Voldemort coming through the dust and like possessing Harry. And this scene is obviously different because it's like a little bit extended than it is in the book. Yeah, I think we just see a ton of different types of magic being used here, how, how they do everything. And I think we also, before we get to the possession scene in this in this duel between them, I have to give Dumbledore props where it's due because he's also trying to keep Harry out of the fucking way. Yes, Harry he keeps, keeps trying to like come up. swatting him. Away. He's like, get the fuck out! I'm trying to save you here. Like he has like kind of two things going on that he's trying to do. He's not just I trying don't to need your help. Win. He's on. trying to also keep Harry back. <laughs> yeah, but I do love um, the possession scene because you at first see a bunch of flashbacks of. Voldemort trying to convince him that he's just like him and that his life is horrible and all this. But I absolutely love when Harry fights back and shows all of the moments that we obviously hold dear from the series, like him hugging Lupin and him hugging Sirius and different shots of Ron and Hermione from the very first movie all the way to when they're laughing by the fire together. And I just think this is such a beautiful scene and he really tells him like you can't feel love or friendship and i feel sorry for you because at this point sassy harry pops out of the book and like embodies into dan and is like yeah like you're miserable like i'm so above you like i don't care get out of my head and i think at this point he is really because he's already heard the prophecy right in the movie. So I think at this point, he's really putting two and two together, and he's kind of overcoming his fear. Right. And I also love how before he has that whole montage, when after he sees his friends walk up and he, you know, gathers the strength to kind of send Voldemort out of him by thinking all of all the people that he loves and his memories, Dumbledore says, it isn't how you and Voldemort are alike, it's how you are not. Right. And that's really what spurs him into being like, oh yeah, but you don't love anybody mm-hmm. and nobody loves you. They just serve you. Right. So then Voldemort comes out of Harry and he's leaning over him and he says, you're a fool, Harry Potter, and you will lose everything. But he really shouldn't have stopped to say that because it was just enough time for Fudge and the ministry officials to come in and see him. And for Fudge to have his profound, he's He's back. back. He's back. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't then get Dumbledore serving him a heaping pile of I told you so. No. It kind of takes the high road. Yeah. It just kind of cuts. And Harry is, you know, seen by himself. And then he's seen having. Well, we get the montage of the Daily Prophet clippings. Right. Right. Voldemort's back and Umbridge is removed and Dumbledore's reinstated. All the stuff that. Hermione is reading to Ron and Harry and the hospital wing we get by visually seeing it on the screen before right. we cut Our final Harry. montage that we get from this yeah. film. I really love the montages, I won't lie. And then, So many montages. Yeah, there film. really are. <laughs> then we get a really intimate conversation with a calm Harry 
in fact, too calm, in my opinion. Yeah, they really, they should have had Sassy Harry pop out a little bit. Like, he's just really calm. And they're just kind of playing it like he's just in shock or something. Yeah, which he definitely is, right? But I think we really lost what we really gained from this scene in the book. Well, it's also not happening right afterwards like it did in the book. It's, right, it seems like, like, like there a could have been time that's gone by and Harry has had time to process more before he's just popping off at people. Right. So, yeah, I think there's definitely something lost. While we did critique Harry quite a bit last week for that, that still was a moment of, like, this is what makes Harry Potter Harry Potter. Like, sometimes right. he pops off and he gets in your face. But I think we also highlighted the fact of, like, how much Dumbledore praised him and how much Dumbledore really like went into detail and told him how much he cared about him and really apologized and told him why it took him so long to tell him about the prophecy. And he just, this is all lost. It's really well, all lost. We still get it. It's just condensed. Like Dumbledore it's still like confesses he, that he feels it's his fault. And Harry asks him about the prophecy and Dumbledore confirms that Harry or Voldemort will have to kill the other in the end. And then he just straight up asks Dumbledore, why did you never tell me this? Dumbledore just says, you know, I, I just cared for you too much and said that he didn't want to cause him any more pain after all that Harry has suffered. But I do really wish we could have gotten some waterworks from Michael Gambon here. Yeah. Just one tear. I just felt like this was another performance on Michael Gambon's part that wasn't a Dumbledore performance. Like, there was something definitely missing. It kind of just seemed very robotic. Yeah. I don't I don't think that's a character that is like Bellatrix that can be portrayed on film because he's just no. so robust and I don't know that there's a man like Dumbledore that actually could ever exist no, in real life. There's like, not. He's just an anomaly. So, But also, like... Just going off of that, I feel like Gandalf is also a character that can't <laughs> really be portrayed, but he was. So we just I, needed Sir Ian McKellen. Yeah, we just <laughs> be both Dumbledore wrong. and Gandalf. And there's like no question. Yeah, he's he could be Magneto, Gandalf, and Dumbledore, <laughs> the trifecta. But I don't know, like. Yeah, that would be my only critique of that, is I would also say that Snape is a really difficult character to embody, and Alan Rickman is he does. Snape. He does, yeah. So, I, I don't know. I feel, I just feel like, I think after the fifth movie, that's when he actually picked up the books and read them, but at that point, like... Oh, well, at that point, he only had one more left, and right. damn it, I'm not ready for it. We're not ready for it. So, <sighs> I don't know. While we did get like you said, the abridged version of what happened in his office. I think we were incredibly cheated by this entire scene. Yeah, I agree. I do agree. But we are made up for that by none other than Ivana in all of her glory. <laughs> Just, yeah. I love her so much and the way she portrayed Luna, I... I'm just obsessed with it. And I think this moment, while yes, it is different because she had already told him about her mother earlier in the movie... Mm -hmm. I think it just really humbled Harry a bit and showed him, like, that people do care about him, as we said, and that she really can connect with him on another level. And uh, it's just a fun scene, because you just have yeah. all this seriousness that happened, and, like, absolutely no pun intended. And then you get to this part, and it's just this girl looking for her shit, and she's like, I think I'll have pudding. Yeah, she just reinforces her love of pudding. <laughs> yes, it is different, but it's still a super 
sentimental and sweet scene that we get. And also, we should note that we skip the whole scene with Harry trying to figure out if Sirius could be a ghost or not and trying to track down right headless nick probably because all the cgi budget is gone they used all the cgi budget on that bubble (laughs) like that was it (laughs) sorry but then we get you know the ending is quite different obviously so in the book they show all the da together on the train which we do get all the da sort of together walking to the train and harry gets this sweet ass blazer like Okay. Yeah, there's style in this yeah. last scene. I'm just like, what the hell? I mean, he's still wearing that exact from? same blue shirt that he wears in literally every single scene he's in. But he gets a really cool blazer with it now. And <laughs> he is having his, like, Harry teacher moment. His last one of the movie. And he's giving them this great advice that Dumbledore gave him. And everyone's, like, hanging on his every last word. And while it is very, very different than what happened in the book, I think it's sweet. Because it shows, first of all, Harry is a leader. It shows how much all of these people look up to him and admire him and hang on his every word and trust him, which I think is the most important thing. And I really just think that it shows, you know what, yes, I just went through this traumatic experience, but I'm ready to lead. And I thought it was kind of a beautiful scene. Right. And it's definitely a beautiful scene. And I think, you know, when Harry's saying we have something that Voldemort doesn't, we have something worth fighting for. It's just reinforcing the whole end of the end of this movie the whole tone has been pretty hopeful and kind of uplifting even the music underneath all of this despite what has just unfolded the whole back portion of this film has been about friendship and love right. and being together and fighting for each other and not just for ourselves and all this kind of it's just all of these things are coming together and now things are kind of looking up despite what has just happened with Sirius because Voldemort didn't get the prophecy and the truth is out now Harry knows the truth about the prophecy so he can kind of process reality better and now the entire wizarding community believes the truth about Voldemort too so the movie ends on a hopeful tone which I feel like in the book that didn't really happen for me No, it didn't happen for me either. I thought it was a lot more hopeful than the beginning, obviously, because the beginning is pretty heavy. But no, the movie did, you're right, it it ended on such a hopeful tone. And I think, you know, while they did play with the music throughout the entire film, I don't think they really did try to lighten the mood. For example, like whenever Umbridge was on playing her little I think that helped, like, kind of ice the blow a little bit. But no, you're right. I mean, they have the uplifting music and then his speech and, you know, Ron and Hermione kind of smiling at him and really glad that he's coming out of his funk. I think it really does set us up for while things are going to get really, really serious and really scary, like you still have to hang on to hope. And that really is like the critical part of this entire series, right? So It's hope and it's cherishing your friendship and the significance of love and right. the power of that. And yeah, that's basically how this movie shows all of that towards the end. And by the end of this movie, I was like, okay, you know, Order of the Phoenix, I'm okay with it's how it's wrapped up. It's yeah. pretty good. I think overall, you know, it's in my top five for sure, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
I I just am really like not. It's not really forward. a tall order to be in the top five. I'm, I'm just really not looking forward to our next one. So I'm trying to. I'm trying I'm, to remain I'm hoping positive. that the trend of me appreciating things better on this reread. It's not going to happen for me. It's just not. I'm warning all of you right now. For every movie <laughs> comparison episode, like you're just going to hear Emily bitch for like 30 <laughs> minutes because like uh, that movie is just a clusterfuck. I mean, it. Oh my I God. am really looking forward to the development of Harry and Jenny's relationship in our next <laughs> deep dive. And yeah, in the book. The, yeah, in the book. The introduction of Slughorn and Snape as defense against the dark arts and Harry's lessons with Dumbledore. I am really, really excited to get back into that. I do like, I do love Slughorn and I really like how he was portrayed. That is a positive of the sixth movie. But (laughs) the one positive that we can think of right now. Slughorn was all right. Every every movie comparison, you're going to have to make me give one positive. (laughs) Yeah, well, that'll be what we do at the end of our of our episode okay emily now what were you thankful for in this this episode what was your one positive from this 30 minutes that you watched of the film but then guys like you just have to sit through those because i love deathly hollows i think they did such a really good job on those so yes you just gotta bear with they me. all should have been part two or two parts and jk rowling came on after that she was like enough like Where's yeah. my plot? Anyway, but this is our conclusion of Order of the Phoenix for now. Yeah, as always, you can find us on social media at HP Half Drunk on Instagram and Twitter and Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast on Facebook. You can also find us wherever you can listen to a podcast, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Himalaya. And while you're listening, feel free to give us a five-star rating and review if you feel so inclined. And you can also give us a review on Facebook if you'd like. And we also share our links to every episode on social media. So if you go to our past pictures, you can find them all there too. And that's pretty much it. That pretty much ties it up. I hope everyone's getting super excited for Fantastic Beasts since they started filming the third one. Yes, yes, yes. Hopefully it will um, redeem crimes (laughs) crimes of Grindelwald. Did you see where where it's being set? I think in Brazil, right? Brazil! Brazil! I'm so excited. Okay. I'm nervous, but I'm excited. And I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for this one. Yeah. Apprehensively hopeful. Kind of like the... Dumbledore's army at the end of this film. <laughs> I hope I get a sweet blazer out of the deal, though. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> All right. Have a good week. Cheers. Mischief managed. Mischief managed.